0: Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me. And I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Kelly Lattimore. Kelly is an artist who specializes in religious iconography. And as of late, one piece of his art, Mama, has been in the secular news. That icon, Mama, It was a depiction of the Blessed Mother and Jesus Christ in black skin as black people. And the model for his Jesus was George Floyd. And he had received an email from Catholic University of America asking if they could use his art. And so during Black History Month, this depiction, this mama icon of the Blessed Mother and Jesus, was blessed and hung outside the chapel, Our Lady. Mirror of Justice in the Columbus School of Law at Catholic University of America. It had been quietly put there, and then recently in the news was a lot of hubbub complaining that the art was blasphemous, saying that it depicted George Floyd as Jesus Christ, and that that is a problem that should not be done, and that Kelly Lattimore was a part of this liberalization and secularization of Catholic University of America. And sadly, the blessed painting was stolen from outside the chapel in Columbus School of Law. And another little fact that hasn't yet been widely reported is that there were two icons, one at the law school, one in the campus ministry. And that second, smaller icon was hung outside of the law school chapel. And that too, unfortunately, was stolen. And as I was thinking about this, listening to what happened with this mama icon, I kept thinking, why? Why is this outrage? Who is this Kelly Lattimore? What is he intending with these pictures? What do I take away from the picture, even just looking at it? So I thought it'd be good to have a conversation with Kelly. One of the things that this piece of art brings forward, I think, again, to the conversation is how does race, how do depictions of holiness be misinterpreted or how are they negatively received among a community of believers? What does this reveal to us about the wound in the church around race, around conceptions of God that aren't European? And it reminds me of what I call, you know, the church needing, or maybe the people in the church needing a psychological exorcism. Because if our depictions of Christ make it such that we cannot receive Christ unless he appears in a specific way as a European male, then I think something's broken. And this mama icon, I think, makes plain the need for these kinds of conversations, the need for us to look at the wound of racism and what it has done to our ability to receive God as a Black man, to receive Mary as a Black woman. And I also wanted to explore for myself, you know, what should be my disposition to this piece of art? Am I having a moment like St. Francis where I can embrace the leper and that realizing then that that leper, you know, Jesus Christ in disguise as a leper, is this our moment for that kind of conversion and what kind of wonderful thing could happen as a result? And I know the Holy Father talks about going to the margins. Well, is not George Floyd, someone who was brutalized by the police, someone that was on the margins, are not Black people who are brutalized by the police, some people who are on the margins, people that maybe we don't think about or look at or consider. So there's a lot wrapped up in here. And also even depictions of Jesus and Mary as Black. What does that provoke in some people? I know that there is the idea that, oh no, we don't have a problem with it being a Black person, just not that Black person. And what does that really say to us? What is the messaging there? And as a Black person myself, how did I receive the art? What did I think of it? I personally loved it because it made me think and meditate on Christ, perhaps in a way that I had not thought of before. Christ who himself was a convict. Christ who was killed by a public authority. Christ himself, who I love. And what is he telling me about people who are oppressed? What is he telling me about loving even those who some may consider unlovable? A lot to discuss there, a lot to think about, a lot to meditate on, which I think is the whole point of good iconography, good icons, good images of Jesus make us think more deeply about him and about humanity. And so I was very happy to have this conversation with Kelly Lattimore, and I hope you enjoy it as well. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, where real, honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. And that's unique. Look, you may not agree with everything we publish or even everything we talk about on this podcast, and that's okay. That's healthy. We need to listen to each other and be open to different ideas and perspectives. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, Please, support it by getting a digital subscription to America. Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Kelly Lattimore is up next. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You know, I am so so impressed by people who can express themselves by drawing. I think that's such a special gift and I'm always curious like how did you even discover that you could convey ideas through drawing? How did you discover that you had this talent?
1: Well, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and I'm a pastor's kid. My dad's a pastor still is.
0: A PK. A PK. <laughs> yeah.
1: In the pro- Protestant denomination.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I've always been drawing like would cover the bulletins just completely with stuff, like using the words in my drawings, you know, of, mm. of the hymns and stuff. So I've always done art, but I was really not until I went to school at Greenville University and I didn't really know what I was going to study. And one of my now mentors and, and really good friends told me to just take anything I wanted
0: <laughs> huh.
1: and then come back the next semester and we could kind of regroup. And so I took all religion classes and all art classes. So my major was religion and art, which ended up uh-huh. working perfectly. But after school, I ended up joining a small community of men and women, lay people, priests, and couples, single, and it really was the community. But it manifested itself in this place called the Good Earth Farm, where we grew food for food pantries. Okay. And so I'd, you know, been making art there in the community, just regular, you know, paintings and landscapes or what have you. And Father Tom, who lived with us, once I asked, you know, have you ever tried doing an icon? And I hadn't. And so I just got curious and got some books and did what all artists do, but iconographers specifically, is I just started tracing over these like Mm -hmm. old icons and trying my hand at different scenes and saints and people. That was my entrance into iconography, but I think that also really showed me the power of art in the sense of being a placeholder for communities thought prayer and action and that it really can be something that we can focus on as communities of faith or just communities in general.
0: Kelly, there are going to be people who have no idea what iconography is or what an icon is. How would you explain it to them?
1: I think icons are really I mean icon literally just means image in the Greek. But I think what it's really trying to do is take symbol and meaning and put those things together in such a proper way where it creates a beautiful image. And so, you know, in the Orthodox Church, this was done through different biblical scenes and angels and all of this stuff. It is something where it's used in our worship, obviously, in our churches as a way of a window to God or a window to a person who lived a life of compassion and love and fighting against injustice or people who really struggled or tried to enact the life of Christ within their own, you know, all these things. So it can be a window to that and how to live lives in the same way. But also, but I think that the other thing they can do, not only can icons be for the church, but I think what they can do is then focus our thought and a community's thought in prayer life. Then when we go out and in the world, carrying that out into the world after we leave in those images and, and how we see and teach each other to see.
0: Well, you know, that's one of the things that um. so I'm a convert to Catholicism and it wasn't until much later that I even heard the term icon. I converted as a child, I was 12 and art for me, particularly sacred art or paintings of Jesus were things that helped me in my devotion, you know, helped me in meditating on Christ and meditating on an aspect of Christ and in a way of learning, I think a way of um, just submitting myself in prayer to what does this art say to me? And what is this telling me about Jesus? And I remember when I saw for the first time the icon that you made that's called Mama, that is now supposedly people are upset about. And for those who don't know, Catholic University of America has two copies of your icon. And it was shared outside first in the uh, Our Lady Mirror of Justice Chapel at the law Mm -hmm. school. And it was blessed. So it was blessed by a priest and hung up there. And then the smaller version was kept in the campus ministry office. What was your inspiration for Mama? And what was it like to create it? Like, what was that process like?
1: Well, just like everyone, it really came from witnessing, you know, the tragic and horrible death of George Floyd and just the weeks that followed, just the conversations and just utter shock of that event was just you know you couldn't ignore what was happening
0: you saw the video
1: you saw the video yeah of his murder and the fact that the last thing he said that like absolutely broke my partner and i was mama and it's that word like kept like just ringing like in the back of my head our head and i think one of the things that happened is We saw an image online of George Floyd as a young toddler being held by his mother, and it just broke us. And in that moment, Abby said, you know, what if we created an icon based on this? This It was going to really help us to mourn what has just happened, this horrible thing, but also as a means for this not to keep happening. Police Mm -hmm. brutality in America, that mothers are continually watching their daughters and sons be murdered, people of color murdered unjustly by the state. And so as we began to discuss this between her and I, Evie came up with the idea of the Pieta and reflecting on that mama, you know, his mother. And thought what, you know, this would be, could be an image to really, to add that idea of that this death was horrible. Mm-hmm. And for a while we had in the creation of the icon to the initial sketch that I do it right in the board, the mother figure was looking at her dead son. Mm-hmm. And originally we she was looking there. We had a conversation and we realized, you know, this maybe she's focusing too much on the death, which is horrible. But what if mm-hmm. she actually looked at the viewer as more of a, like, what are we going to do so this doesn't keep happening? Mm. And when we changed that gaze and showed some friends of ours and other people in our life and our community, it was like, yes, like, that's exactly how it needs to be.
0: I will say for me, I don't think I can ever forget the video of George Floyd's murder and that moment too, when he was calling out to his mother. Oh, mm-hmm. that just haunts me still, you know, for a number of reasons, because I am a mother too, mm. because I also have lost my mother. She has died and just wishing for her comfort. You know, who doesn't want the mother to comfort them in a time of distress, right? right. And to see that, to have experienced that, and also to reflect on the blessed mother loving her son's dead body after she witnessed his horrible execution by the state, this public execution and the tears and the pain, and then seeing Christ also who had been convicted of a crime and, you know you know what I mean? Because some people will say, you know, well, George Floyd was a convict and therefore... Mm-hmm you know, that alone makes him not worthy to be an inspiration, I guess, for any art on Christ. And I'm like, but what about an icon of the oppressed Mm -hmm. that we see with Christ? And, you know, are there icons in the Catholic tradition that you know of that use specific individuals representing Christ? Because I think that's one of the complaints that using George Floyd's body specifically somehow is wrong. And I don't know of any... I have not come across anything that says yes or no either way. And I'm wondering if you have.
1: Well, the main thing is that like, we don't know who Jesus looked like. Like Mm. all artists are going to have to interpret Christ in some form out of their own imagination or what they're saying in front of them. And I think, you know, historically with, you know, Eastern Orthodox iconography, they painted Christ in the way of a person that they saw around them, a white brown haired man. Whereas you look at, then in China, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's this thing called the Madonna Scroll, where somehow they think in the 16th or 17th century, uh, an image of the Romani Popolani, which is the, it's the fourth century icon of the mother and child, Pope Francis has a, very much a devotion to, somehow got to China. They saw the icon, but they painted Mary as Chinese and mm. baby Christ as Chinese. Like we're constantly doing this. And I, I think in America, what's been sad is, I think what's happened is we've locked Jesus into one image, mm. and we have. There's this historical. It was in the church I or ha- I grew up, and it was by Warner Solomon, and it's just it's called the Head of Christ. They also call it the Protestant Icon as well. Mm. So what it's called, mm-hmm. but it's the face of Christ, and he's white and blonde, hair, blue eyed, looking to the side, almost like a '70s high school photo or school photo or something. Mm-hmm. So people just grew up with this image of Jesus as white. But the problem is that if Jesus is white and God is white, then authority is white, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and how does that make then make a person of color see the personhood of, of Jesus? You know,
0: how does that affect white people also seeing people of color? Exactly. How does that affect white people's conceptions of holiness? Can holiness ever be? portrayed as a person of color? Can Mary and Jesus ever be portrayed as a person of color without there being some disruption to people who have been only exposed to images of Christ, images of Mary that are decidedly European. You know what I mean? Right. In the varieties of European, but never looking as a person of color. And in particular, I would say given the history of the United States, as a black person. And so, you know, I've been thinking about that as well in terms of this reaction, those who react negatively to your mama icon. I'm wondering, were you surprised by all the folks calling this blasphemous and a liberalization of art and what's going on at Catholic University and it's profane and secularization of the university? How did you receive all that kind of negative response?
1: Well, unfortunately, I'm not surprised by it anymore. Mm. But I think this goes to, and this is someone else's canned goods, Father Mark Bazzuti Jones. But he likes to talk about, you know, the icon being this perfect kind of version of sacred art, he calls it. But he says that icons can also be iconoclastic, meaning in the sense of breaking up images, in the sense that there's always something about the image of God that will always be resisted. Mm. And that there, is something about the image of God that will always be crucified because we continue to crucify each other. (laughs) Mm. And I hold out hope that people can open up to new images of God. But I think that's just it. Like When it comes to this image, unfortunately, I wasn't surprised because it happened with several other icons. The Sacred of Familia is an icon I did of a holy family crossing this desert. This stemmed from meeting a young man from Guatemala who had gone through the desert twice. And sitting across from bonfire from him, Evie and I, and just hearing his story, his hopes, his fears, why he was there, you know, it just shook us to our core. And so during this like rhetoric in 2016 of being anti-immigrant, anti-stranger, we created this holy family icon, this holy family that they too were refugees. We mm-hmm. could harken back to 2,000 years ago when they fled. And the response to that was the same thing: it's depicting this holy family, the sacred family, as people of color. I got terrible threats and, you know, spiritual denunciations, you're going to hell, all this stuff. It was terrible. And so when mama was the same thing, depicting this image, this icon of, mm-hmm. of a mother and son who are black,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was immediately resisted. And I think it's part of it has to do with this that to say Jesus is a man of color, not white, is to say that Jesus identifies with the oppressed. Yeah. And that the experience of marginalized people is not foreign to God.
0: Yes. It's not. So here's what I keep thinking with all this backlash that people have. I, I like, are you missing your St. Francis moment? Do we not remember the moment of St. Francis' very deep conversion was his encounter with the leper, who lepers at the time were reviled in his society. And in fact, he was disgusted by them, but it was only when he approached the leper and loved the leper. And then later in that moment, realized that was Jesus Christ, that Christ was disguised in the person of this leper, that that led to his momentous conversion. And now we have the Franciscans. Mm -hmm. And and think of their great impact upon the church and the world, the whole family of Franciscans. And I'm like, what if St. Francis had stayed in this place of disgust toward the leper? What the church would have lost, what he would have lost. And I'm like, are we having a St. Francis moment now? And where people are, because of their attitude about George Floyd, that they are missing Jesus present there.
1: The church has for far too long neglected and I think even rejected the gifts of the people on the margins of society. And, mm. and then when it complains about church growth and like scarce numbers, it does that. Which, whose problem is that? It hasn't found a way to incorporate other people's experiences and stories. I think that's a huge question, like the leper, those people who are in the margins. Mm-hmm. And then those are the very people that the gifts are there, but we're just failing to see that they have something to show us about who we are, about what it means to be human and to be a neighbor and to love God and all these things.
0: I remember, I can't remember which saint it was. There was a They were martyred for it. But they were asked by was it the emperor or the king? Just bring bring me the wealth of the church. Saint Lawrence. Okay, and he brought all the poor. Yeah, he brought <laughs> the, the poor. The They're right. like you're gonna get roasted literally for that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but you know, so it's the so he, brought, he brought the poor and said like, this is the wealth of the church. So you know, I know in previous interviews people have asked you is it Jesus or is George Floyd, and you said yes, and I think that is very striking. You know, such a a beautiful answer.
1: Well, I think it goes back to the, it's this dualistic thinking. And what dualistic thinking is, is kind of either or. Mm. That when people are asking and hundreds of people, I got many, many emails, is it George Floyd or Jesus? And I said, yes.
0: Mm. And
1: that was the best answer because the either or the dualistic thinking, it works for like the sake of like simplification and conversation, but not for the sake of the truth. And I'm heavily influenced by the work of Samuel Wells, a priest. And he talks a lot about how Jesus in the Gospels is always doing this. Like people are asking him, do you pay taxes to Caesar or not? Mm-hmm. He says, give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. That's him. Or he's asked about, a lot about the, the Torah. Mm-hmm. And with bated breath, the different stories where Jesus can either block it or he can accept it. But what Jesus does is he over accepts it. Mm-hmm. That Jesus enters Jerusalem not on a mighty steed, right? but he enters it on a donkey, a tractor right. of its time, you know. So, mm-hmm. and I think that saying yes is the truth, but the problem is the truth is more mysterious and it's something that hopefully creates more dialogue. Mm. And so in this situation, it is Christ, of but it is as, you know, St. Teresa of Calcutta would say, Christ in distressing disguise. That mm. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells us that he is within those who suffer and least of these, just as George Floyd did. So it is also George Floyd.
0: We'll be right back. So just as St. Francis was able to say Jesus in the disguise of a homeless person, why can't we see Jesus in the disguise of George Floyd and what he experienced in particular? You know, as an icon of the oppressed. And it speaks to a very specific moment to us, culture, at least for me, as I started to think more about the picture and about the suffering. And I was like, you know, Christ truly, when he has appeared, I can't think of him ever appearing as a person, quote unquote, of temporal power. You know what I mean? Right. Why is it that he's chosen to appear as a leper? You know, why is he chosen to appear as something that was reviled by society? on the outskirts of society, something to be avoided and an object of disgust. What is God telling us about the dignity of the human person
1: Mm.
0: and the lowly, the special place that the lowly and outcast have in his heart?
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, I've said this a lot, and this really comes from the work of James Cone, a theologian, but that racism, what it is, is a complete denial of the incarnation. And I think what happens for these people who are rejecting the image of Christ as a black man or Mary as a black woman,
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that they're in some way trying to protect their God that they've built up in their head. Mm. But the thing is, is that God doesn't need protecting. Huh. He doesn't need protecting. And you can mm. pretty sure that when you try to protect God, you're creating your own idol, which is the exact opposite of an icon. Mm. And so okay. for Cone, and you'll notice this other part about the icon that we haven't talked a lot about, but like there's no nail holes in his hands. Right. And that's because the black man in America, unfortunately, is lynched. Mm. And for Cone, what he's saying, if the American Christian wants to understand the terrible history of the cross, the sad metaphor that we actually have now in America and in our history is the lynching tree. Yeah. Which is very provocative, but it, there is truth there. And we're going to have to understand that as people, as Christians, if we're going to resist the hate and the evil that is white supremacy in our time.
0: Yeah, James Cohn wrote The Cross and the Lynching Tree. It's a book Correct. a lot of people have been reading to get his thoughts. And he's an African American theologian. He's passed on, gone on to glory now. He's dead. Yeah. But yes. he's left a lot in his wake for people to grapple with. You know, some people say, look, we don't have a problem that it's a Black person. We just have a problem that it's this Black person, mm-hmm. you know, which I find interesting because, you know, as a Black person myself, it sort of sounds like we don't have a problem with black person, but we're still gonna tell you which black person you can use to betray mm-hmm. Christ, you know, and it doesn't meet our approval. And I am trying to grapple with, well, why does that make a difference that it's George Floyd as opposed to any other black person that's been brutalized by the police? Christ is present in the outcast, Christ is present in the person who was once convicted of a crime. You know, because they like to point to the fact that, you know, he was a convict. And I was like, well, Christ was also, you know, found guilty of -hmm. a crime as well. But is there a point where a human person who's oppressed is not made in the image and likeness of God?
1: Well, I mean, I know you've had Sister Helen Prejean, who I love on the show. Her quote, people are not the worst thing that they've ever done. Ah. And she's someone who's witnessed. People that have done terrible things literally look them in the eye as They're killed by the state, mm. and she. There's love there. Yes, there's love in their eyes, in between them, and to say that as sad as murder and committing crimes is that the image of God isn't within someone like that's not for us to say. It it mm. is. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the hard part for us to grapple with, right? Right, that. Even the most unlikable among us still are made in his image and likeness, right? Right. And we need to lean into that. And what does it say about us? And I I keep thinking when this when these things happen, I was like, gosh, what do I look like to God and he still loves me? You know, even when I'm in the depths of my sin and choosing something over him, he still loves me, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean another example of Jesus doing this thing which Sam Wells calls over accepting, it's when the Pharisees bring the woman who's caught in adultery to Jesus and he could block them, tell them not to do it. Mm-hmm. He could accept it and let them stone her. They say, what should we do? And he says he over accepts their request is let whoever has no sin throw the first stone. You know?
0: <laughs> Which, boy, that's a deep thing, is it not? Right. Is it not very deep? And I'm also thinking when the eyes of Jesus are looking at you he penetrates. He can see all your sins too. So for him to say that, it's like, y'all ain't sin-free neither, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly. That's a whole lot to really, you know, take in. It's like, that's not your place. So what was your goal, if you would say, in creating this particular piece of art?
1: Well, I think it was to, like I said, mourn the loss of George Floyd. But creating an image that was going to spur us to action. What sacred art can do is in our churches is really teach each other how to see and take the right things for granted and see rightly. Mm. And we need each other to do that. I mean an example of that, just really briefly, I did a an icon of it's called Christ the Pantocrator. It's Christ, he's teaching and he's giving a blessing, you know, the hands. Mm -hmm. It was right when I, you know, started. So still, still learning how to paint, be a better painter. but Mm -hmm. It it frustrated me and I ended up calling it baby hands Jesus because I could (laughs) not get the hands right. And his hand looks so (laughs) small compared to his face. And I just struggled. And so I put the icon up on a uh, shelf. Mm-hmm. Well, a few years went by and I had some new gold leaf and I wanted to try it out and I found that icon and so I took it down and I put the gold leaf over it. But when I did that, I noticed that because I would, had been reworking the icon so much that the paint like stood up. And so after the whole thing, I just covered the whole thing like really hastily. And then when I put it on a wall, it looked like a gold leaf board. But when it got up close, I could see the, ray, the image of Christ's face. Oh. I was like, this is something. And so I had two friends who were priests. They came in and they saw it. And then both of them at the same time said, That's the cloud of unknowing, mm. which is this book by a 14th century person who, uh, it's anonymous, but just briefly is really about how we all can know God to a degree, but it only gets us so far. Mm-hmm. And that really by putting God under a cloud of forgetting or unknowing, the closer we'll be to God through the heart. Mm. And so, but really what that was is that. They saw it. They're the ones that saw the image and they spoke into what it was and what it meant. And therefore, it had become a new gift, not only Mm -hmm. to me, but to others who now seen it. And I I paint that icon in different versions all the time. But I think that story really gets at the heart of what art can potentially do in our communities and not just visual art, but poetry, music, drama, all these things that we have as humans that we've used for centuries and since the existence of time. That mm-hmm. we can now focus in to help us to see and to name the things that we don't see in ourselves, to name the racism within each of us, to name mm-hmm. the ways that we are, you know, not loving our neighbor well or, mm-hmm. you know, clothing the sick and feeding the poor. Like we need mm-hmm. each other to help each other to see, not only within the church, but way more importantly outside of it.
0: So you've painted popular religious figures, Nicholas Blackout, Dorothy Day, Our lady of Guadalupe. Yeah. You've also painted Popular figures that aren't necessarily religious, like Frederick Douglass and Fred Rogers. What's it like for you in creating those images, the popular religious ones, and then just the popular folks who are more broadly known, maybe like Frederick Douglass and Fred Rogers outside of a religious context? What's it like painting those?
1: One of my favorite parts about iconography is it's a very communal art. Like I get to know much more about people in different communities and what they care about. Through commissioned work, and I get to do that, but mm-hmm. so it's been really interesting to paint people and saints and, and scenes of, of things that these communities care about. I get to enter into that dialogue and that like holy pondering of who this person was, not only to them but just just at large. But I think these through a lot of this work, painting someone like you know Mister Rogers or someone like John Lewis, mm-hmm. you know, I I think there's a lot of conversation in the church about you know. In order to to depict a saint, they have to have so many miracles. And I think that's valid. And the whole process of Dorothy Day becoming a saint and the dialogue around that has been so interesting. But like, you know, John Lewis, like, I think it's a miracle that he walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, got beat over the head and still came back the next day. Like, yeah, what a man like that. He has something to teach us about what it means to have courage, to love where it hurts. And I think that those people are people that I know I want to put in front of me and to reflect on. Once you put a halo on something, like people notice. And I I think that that's been a part of it, too.
0: Yes, I think for Catholics, like when they see a halo, they think of a person who has already been canonized. And that's right, like you said, a specific thing for us. But as I'm hearing you speak about John Lewis in particular, that there was a specific aspect of his life that you found important and touching and something for us to reflect on. You're not making a commentary about the totality of his life, per se, or whatever, but there was something specific. And for us as Catholics, as soon as you said it, I was thinking, yeah, he persevered. Mm -hmm. He persevered in what he knew to be right, despite the blows, despite the terrible physical punishment abuse that he received and I mean it was not a small thing i think he was knocked out yeah, and then was. jailed and thought he was going to die i mean it was awful mm-hmm. but would we do that for the faith would we ourselves suffer that for the faith in a real way you know real consequences for what we hold on and believe to be true that is something to meditate on and to think about well
1: to bring dorothy day back real quick i mean her famous quote that she was quoted all the times so that she said i I don't want to be a saint because I don't want to be dismissed so easily. Here uh-huh. she is being canonized. And there's a lot of good <laughs> people that, who actually knew her that have wrote really eloquently why they think she should be canonized, like Robert Ellsberg and James Martin. But mm-hmm. I think what Day was really saying is that we're not called to be heroes, we're called to be saints. But in yeah. that, like, it's work that we can all do. And, you know, I've done two icons of Dorothy Day. The first one, she didn't have Halo, and this a newer one that I just said, she does. You know, I think we have to kind of have a conversation in the church about what being a saint is. Mm. <laughs> and is it actually more of a miracle that Francis had that moment that he spoke about where he mm. saw the leper and took such compassion on him mm-hmm. that this is a miracle and maybe not the strict sense, right. but that he made that, had that conversion. And I think we re- maybe need to, in the, our current time, kind of reevaluate some of our practices.
0: Well, I'm hoping that everyone who was objecting to the painting will reconsider this in the light of the example of St. Francis and maybe consider what is it that you find so revolting? Perhaps that is the very thing that might save you Mm. when you come to love the person that is suffering and tend to them and care for them. I'm hoping they will have that St. Francis moment rather than a moment where they are so reviled by someone they can't see Christ. Mm. Oh, and that's such a sad statement, no? Mm. That you cannot see Christ if he comes as George Floyd murdered by the police. What a poverty for that person. So one of the things I noticed throughout our conversation, although we hadn't talked directly about it, so I want to bring it in here, you have a lot of contact with the poor, serving them, living among them. How did that come to be?
1: I really grew up in, I think, a spiritual tradition in I don't think my dad would mind me saying this, but it's really, to put it bluntly, more about Jesus and I versus the world, kind of like transcending this world. Mm -hmm. And that juxtaposed against when I was working on a farm and had my hands in the soil and like weeding a bed of carrots across from people and sharing food with the homeless poor there and growing food and sitting across meal tables with people and just like getting all tangled up together in a community Mm -hmm. really showed me like moving from transcendence to embodiment, action, and engagement. That Mm. like Jesus said, I'm breaking the bread and saying, this is my body given to you. Maybe another way to look at that is if you're looking for my body later, this is it. Like don't go looking in heaven. Don't go looking in the tomb. Like Mm-hmm. Look amongst yourselves. Like This is the kind of thing my bodily presence is when you're in communion. And I think being a farmer and, and growing food and rubbing his shoulders with people and growing food with people who were in poverty showed me the presence of Christ in mm-hmm. that
0: form. And I'm I'm glad you had the courage and were inspired to make this art and share it with us. And I know there are listeners saying, gosh, how can I find Kelly Lattimore and <laughs> buy some of his art? How could they do that?
1: It's just uh, we have a website, Kelly dot com all the social media and all that too. So if you'd like to check it out, please do.
0: Kelly Lattimore, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Lots of wonderful surprises in our conversation and a lot for me to think about. And I'll go take another look at Mama as a way of aiding my devotion to Christ and stirring in my heart compassion for those who are suffering. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Gloria. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Sebastian Gomes and engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.